Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him on the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I, I want you to just focus on that verse and highlight that verse in verse number 23. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch, in the darkest time of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, they were petrified, they were terrified they they grew scared is what it should say saying it's a ghost and they cried out because their hearts were overtaken taken with fear but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying notice this phrase be of good cheer it is I do not be afraid and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, if, if you're dear with me, just read that one word with me. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, uh, he was afraid and Beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you even doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 33, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Church, for the next few minutes, I want to encourage you from a title I've given to this brief exhortation, Stepping Out on Faith in Times of Transition. Stepping Out on Faith in Times of Transition. You may have your seats. Stepping Out on faith in times of transition. In our text, the disciples find themselves in a really scary predicament. One of the most terrifying places even today that any human being can find themselves. It's, it's bad enough being on land and being in the middle of a storm, but they are in the middle of the sea, in the dead of night, in a storm that is threatening to prevent them from making it to their destination on the other side. In other words, if, if, if you have to think of places to, to be in a storm, being in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a boat is, is not ideally the place that you want to be. 
And so they are in a very scary predicament. They are in a dangerous situation. But I also want us to see that the route that they are taking and the this, 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 this mode of transportation, this place, this spot, as, as you think about where they are on the sea, it presents itself as a means or a place of transition from where they were to ultimately where they needed to be. Uh, and so transitions are inevitable. Transitions are things that you and I, we go through and we experience in life. And sometimes it comes in seasons, sometimes it comes in waves, and sometimes it comes at a place and at a time where we might least expect it. Sometimes life throws things at us and we have to pivot because in those moments, they become transitional moments for us. Going from elementary to middle school, that is a transition that needs to take place. From middle school to high school, there is transition from high school to college, from being single to dating, from being dating to now being married. Those are transitions from, from being married to bearing kids. Those are transitions from raising babies to raising teenagers. If you've done that, you know that there is a transition that takes place from going to uh, going from having teenagers to ultimately becoming empty nesters there is a transition that takes place from being a teenager to being in your 20s from being in your 20s to being in your 30s from being young and youthful and full of energy vim and vigor to becoming more seasoned in life it's all about transitions that we go through from being in a career to now being in a place or or experiencing retirement from from, from no longer having your best friend, from, from no longer having your mom present, for no longer having your dad present. What about not having your spouse present? The point I'm trying to make is we all go through transitions in life. And if we're honest with ourselves, transitions, though sometimes smooth, and as smooth as we like transitions to be, sometimes the truth is these transitions are hard to navigate. But in as much as they are hard, it becomes necessary for us to learn to transition well. Because the place of transition becomes a place of learning and growth for us so that we could become more effective on the other side. I love how my, my old preacher used to say it. When you think about the, 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 the sea at this particular point in time, where they came from and where they were headed, it's also a represent, representation of us in our lives, in our journey. In, in, in as much as God, I'm here and I'm going through some things. But when I look back, I'm glad I'm not who I used to be, nor am I really who I want to be, I need to be, but I'm here for a reason in order for us to go to the next level, in order for us to go to the next stage, in order for us to mature beyond where we're at, we have to go through transitions. So transitions are an active part of an individual's life. Individuals go through transitions. Families go through transitions. Communities, for those of you who've, who've born, been, been born and raised and, uh, and been around Antioch, you know, I don't have to say this, you know I'm preaching to the choir. Communities go through transformations, even churches. 
The church that was here 50 years ago ought not to be the church that's here today. The way that the church operated 50, unless we're talking about a church that's operating in faith, but a the way that the church operated 50 years ago is not the way that the church will operate today. Could I even be a go a little bit deeper? The way that the church looked 50, 60 years ago is not going to be the way that the church looks today. It's all about transitions. Learning to navigate these transitions well, therefore, are going to be essential in our own personal and collective faith formation and character formation going forward. In other words, God has something in store for us on the other side of this transformation and our effectiveness on the other side of this, transform, of this transition is really going to be determined by how we navigate or manage this particular transitional place or space. So I want us to notice really some things here really quickly in the text. We, we see Jesus ultimately walking on the water, but I want us to look a little closer and get a glimpse into some other things that factor in greatly into what is actually taking place in Matthew chapter number 14, verse 22 through 33. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to just pay attention with me as you, 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 you look and as you peer into all of the chapter. Here's what I want us to see as you break down the chapter. There are some things that happen before Jesus walks on the water. And I'm going to reframe how we view that in our scriptures here in a little bit. We ultimately uh, uh, talk about this text, verse 22 to 33, as Jesus walking on the water, and he did. But I want us to reframe this in just a little bit. As you look at the breakdown of Matthew chapter number 14, there is something that's transpired early on in the text. And we could break this section down into three main sections that brings us into where we are in verse 22 through 33. In the first instance, in Matthew chapter number 14, we encounter this account of John the Baptist's beheading. And when, we are and when we identify and we are told about the account of John's beheading, the scripture tells us when you get and you make your way down to verse number 12 that they, uh, the, his disciples, John's disciples, come and they, they share that information with Jesus. And then the very next Pericopia, the very next cluster of text you will find is where Jesus feeds the multitude. But as soon as he hears about what they did to John, the scripture says that he pulls aside and he goes by himself. And then we find from verse number 13 through verse number 21, this account of while he is by himself and the multitude has now gathered together, he takes opportunity to teach them. And as he takes opportunity to teach them, we find this account where he ultimately feeds them. I want you to appreciate this. And then as he takes the opportunity to feed them, the, the time has come where he has dispensed with the multitude and he tells his disciples, I want you guys to take this boat and go on the other side. And you would recognize from the reading of our text as you make your way into Matthew 14 verse 33 that Jesus now goes into a mountain or the mountain or a mountain by himself aside. And the scripture says it adds a little bit more weight to it where he's going to pray to God. But if you notice in the text, here's what I want us to see. The text starts off by Matthew recording for us that Jesus is made aware of the death of John the Baptist. It was John the Baptist's job to pave the way for Jesus. 
when John stepped into his ministry and into his role, John understood his role was to create the path that was necessary for uh, the coming of the Messiah, was to prepare the people for when the Messiah come, that they would gravitate toward the Messiah. So even, even John the baptizer, John the Baptist represented in his ministry a transition of sorts. But John encountered opposition, but in as much as John encountered opposition, here's what I want us to see. It's going to become clear here in a little bit. In as much as John encountered opposition, his purpose needed to be fulfilled. So opposition should not stop you from fulfilling your purpose in God. So here comes John and he is beheaded and now his disciples come to Jesus. I need for us to see this. His disciples come to Jesus and they tell Jesus they have beheaded John the Baptist. The very next thing, the very next verse would say that Jesus pulls aside just a little bit to go by himself. What is the Lord doing when he pulls aside just a little bit? I want to suggest to us that in as much as he would have preached Matthew chapter 5, blessed are they that mourn, Jesus was not just the type of person to just preach it and not live it. I, I, I want to I suggest to us that when Jesus spoke, and in as much as his words are powerful, he lived by the very same thing he spoke by. The reason why he could say, blessed are they who, who mourn for they shall be comforted is because he knew that if you mourn, there was going to come a time when you would be comforted. But mourning is a process that also indicates a transition. And even though you may mourn for an extended period of time, the truth is, for those of us who have been there and probably still find ourselves grieving and in that space, we recognize you can't live in a space of mourning. You have to learn to continue taking steps forward. You have to learn that there are still people here that you need to live for. You, you have to know that there are still jobs and a task and a goal and objectives that you still have to accomplish. This space, though hard, it's necessary, but I have to get on the other side. So Jesus is in a place, if you didn't know it before, of mourning. And while he is mourning church, he recognizes that I still have work to do because there is a multitude still needs feeding. So he doesn't stop the work because he's in pain, but he recognizes that he has a job, he has a task, he has a calling, and he has a purpose. So even in the midst of his pain, he still continues to do service. That, that, that sounds a whole lot like, like us, right? Even in the midst of our pain, we are still called to do service. That doesn't mean that you can't mourn. That doesn't mean that you can't grieve. That doesn't mean that you can't cry. But in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your mourning, in the midst of your sorrow, try to find time with God and God will fuel you for the ministry that you and I still have to do. So Jesus is modeling for them something that, he, that they will too have to experience one day. Remember, he hasn't gotten to the point yet of telling them that I will, 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 will only be with you for a short time. John will record eventually when he tells them that I'm only here with you for a short time. They get troubled in their spirit. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. I know you know that text. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again. 
and receive you unto myself. What are you doing, Jesus? I'm trying to prepare you for transition. So when we look at these series of texts, here's what I want us to see. When, when, when you look at Jesus going through his time of mourning, you, you look at Jesus going through his time of anxiety, you, go, you look at Jesus going through his time of grief and through his time of pain, he teaches us a model of how to deal with grief. He says, go ahead and lean on God. I, I, I wait, let me hear. When you are dealing with your time of grief and pain and suffering and sorrow, here is what you need to start off with. Go ahead and learn to spend time with God so you can learn to lean on him. Here is what we do, though, because we like to pull things out that's conducive for us and beneficial for us. We say, well, Jesus pulled away from the multitude, and he did, but understand that why he pulled away from the multitude. Some of us, we, we like to look at that and say, because we, we love isolation. Human beings, some of us love isolation, so we look at the part where he pulled away from the multitude. He pulled away from his disciples. He was alone by himself. So see, here it is, Jesus was alone, but notice, when he was alone, he wasn't, in, in, he wasn't alone by himself, really. He pulled away from the multitude, but he was with God. So in your isolation, let, let this be known, it's, it's good to pull away from people sometimes. It, it, it's not always healthy to be around people, to be pouring into people, because you sometimes become empty, and you need refuel, fueling if you have to continuously pour into people. So you get your fuel from God. Uh, sadly, sometimes we get our fuel from everything else but God, but Jesus has given us a mole and a model as to how we need to deal with the transitions of life. I, I, I wish I would have some honest people here to say that they, uh, sometimes when people retire, it's hard to transition from retirement, having a career for 30 plus years. It's hard from going from that to now being at home. Now it's just you and your spouse. You're an empty nester now. What are we going to do? You twiddle your thumbs and you struggle. Why is that? Because it's difficult to go through transitions. It's a reason why it is sometimes it's difficult when, when families leave their home, the place that they've called home all their life, the city, the state, the town that they've known as home all their lives, and they have to go into some place new. They, it's hard for them to make transitions. Why is that? Because they don't know how to navigate. But Jesus is helping us to see as he is mourning, as he is going through his process, as he is grieving you. Could you put yourself in his shoes now? Could you, could you put yourself to understand that he is going through a period in his life while he is having to minister to people, he is also having to navigate his own feelings. But oftentimes we don't look at Jesus as if he was a human being. We say, well, no, he, fe he fed the multitude, but notice he fed the multitude while he was grieving. Oh, he was powerful. He prayed the prayer and fed with, 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 with five loaves and two fish, blah, 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 or, or whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, he was powerful, but understand, he was able to walk in power while he was living in pain. So our pain, though real, Jesus is trying to help us to understand, as the Hebrew writer would say, we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but were in all points tested, like as we were and as we are yet, the scripture says, was without sin. What are you saying, Brother Morgan? I'm saying Jesus is trying to show us how to navigate life. And as you navigate your difficulty, as you navigate your distress, as you navigate the transitions, and the transitions will come, as you navigate those, learn to lean. I wish I could lean. Learn to lean 
on God. Because as you lean on God in your pain, you're still able to walk, watch this, in power. So in our text, we commonly refer to the text where we are right now, I need to be done, I need to be done. In, in, our, in our text, we commonly refer to it as Jesus walking on the water, and he did. But here's what I want us to see. When you follow the progression of the text, when Jesus was in pain, he still fed the multitude. But then you get to uh, the, the situation where he sends his disciples in a boat on the sea to be in the middle of a storm. And he waits there long enough. He waits there on the mountain long enough for them to become desperate enough so that when he shows up, the experience that they would have in this place would become a core experience going forward. Because here is what I need for us to appreciate, the transitional moments, the, the, we, there, there are some times in our lives that becomes uh, transitions for us and they become core to us that when we look back at our lives, we, there are some moments in memory that we can look back and say, this was a time that placed me on this trajectory and this was a time when God came through. That's why my faith became this and this was a time when I went through this. It formed me. These transitional moments become key moments in our lives. And we got to learn, church, how to navigate those really well. Watch this. So the whole issue of the storm really, really and truly is a physical manifest manifestation and representation of what Jesus was actually going through emotionally. The storm that the disciples find themselves in was a physical manifestation for them as to what Jesus himself was going through. So he's trying to get them to learn how to navigate their storms. He's trying to get them to learn how to navigate their transitions. Watch this. He's trying to get them to learn how to navigate and manage their trauma. Because oftentimes your trauma is also your transitional moments. And your transitional moments becomes the time of transformation of your faith and character. So we have to learn. I, I wish I had some people. We have to learn how to manage our traumas. Some of us have trauma from childhood that we have not dealt with. And undealt trauma is an, a, 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 a transition that we have not made. Some of us are experiencing trauma right now and we're downplaying it because we don't want anybody to know about it. A, a, a trauma that is undealt with is a transition that is not made. And a transition that is not made or a transition that is not made well does not equate to proper transformation. We have to learn how to navigate and manage and deal with the trauma and the transitions of life. So Jesus 
doesn't necessarily just walk on the water as the pericope says. That's how, if you're reading in your text, usually all the text will have the, the heading, Jesus walks on water. Jesus walks on water. Jesus walks on water. But what's really going on is Jesus in his pain is walking in power to his people. That's really what's going on. He is showcasing that even in my pain, I know that there is a work to do and my love for you exceeds the pain that I have. So he's trying to help these disciples to understand that the calling on their life and, and, and the purpose for their life is to do as he did in sharing our gospel to our lost and dying world eventually. But in order for you to share the gospel in spite of your pain, in order for you to share the gospel in the middle of your pain, in order for you to continue in the purpose of your work in spite of what you're going through, you have to come from a place of understanding faith but also having love for the souls on the other side. So Paul, when he's in prison, he said, listen, I would love to, to depart from this body because to depart from this body is to be present with the Lord. But I know in, 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 in as much as I'm still present on the earth, it's more beneficial for you. What are you saying, Paul? I'm saying I would love to be with my Lord right now. I, 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 let me, let me, could I be real? I would love the opportunity to close my eyes in my sleep. I don't really want pain. And if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, none of us want to do this in pain. If we have to transition from this life, let it be in the easiest possible way, Lord. All right? So I would love, in my scenario, in my perfect scenario, I would love to just transition from this life right now in my sleep. Take a nap tonight and just go to bed and wake up in the bosom of Abraham. I would love that. But what keeps me here is I have two kids that I would love to see grow up in the Lord. What keeps me here, let me be real now, is, is I have a wife I want to grow old with. What keeps me here is I have a ministry that I want to perform still on this side of heaven. What keeps me here is I want to help more people come to know Christ. So even though I have a desire to be with God, something is keeping me here. And Jesus is trying to help them to understand, listen, I, I could stay where I was and allow you to just face what you were facing by yourself. But my love for you trumps the, the inability of me to stay put. So here it is. Here it is as we look at our text. I want us to see these things really quick and the message hopefully will be yours. If we are to navigate our transitions well, these are the things that we have to do. And there are five things I want to list from the text. And I'm just going to list it and I'm going to leave. As we look at our text, five things from this text that help us to learn to navigate our transitions well. Number one, we need to learn to take Jesus at his word. Forget your feeling for the moment. I know you're scared. I know you're uncomfortable. I know you have some, some things and some emotions and some thoughts that's rustling over all over in your head and in your mind and throughout your body. I know, I know, I know. Forget your feelings for a moment and learn to simply take Jesus at his word. Because all it takes is one word. You know that, right? All it takes is one word from Jesus. You know that, right? Let me see if I can talk to some people. Who knows? All it takes is one word from Jesus. You know that, right? All Jesus had to say to Peter was, Come. He didn't have to say a bunch of anything else. All he had to say to Peter was, hey, come. 
And it's, in, it's interesting because even prior to Jesus saying to Peter, come, he made a call back in chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. What are you saying? If you come to Jesus, you need to come in faith. And when you come to Jesus, he takes care of you. But we got to learn to take Jesus at his word. You guys all right? We also got to learn to not only step on faith initially, but constantly walk in it. You do realize from the text, Peter starts off walking on the water. But then all of a sudden, he becomes distracted by the waves and the wind and everything else that was already present when he even left the boat to begin with. You do realize that, right? So he starts his walk in faith. He starts his walk in power. He is doing, for all intents and purposes now, Ben, he is doing the exact same thing that Jesus was doing before. Jesus came walking on the water. He calls Peter, come. Peter starts walking on the water too. Could I suggest us as human beings, we are able and have the capacity to do the exact same things that Jesus would have done while he was on this earth? But it means that we need to step out and step in and continuously walk in faith. It's not enough. It's not good enough to start in faith and then falter to fear. But we have to start and continue to step and walk in faith. Here is number three. Our capacity to walk is only made possible by, possible by Jesus' power and example. In other words, he could not have done what he did but for the power of Jesus Christ. So if you want to get glory or give glory to anyone for him doing something, it was only because of the power of Jesus that he was able to do what he was doing. Uh, you and I overcome a whole lot in life. You and I accomplish a whole lot in life. But we need to recognize the only reason why we could do what we do and we have what we have and we own what we own and we accomplish what we accomplish is only because of the power of Almighty God. Number four, really quickly, our ability to navigate transitions well is based on where our focus is placed. Peter started walking on the water and no sooner did he begin to become uh, distracted by everything else that was around. And the scripture says, beginning to sink. That is to suggest that he didn't go under the water immediately. That there is a process of going from walking on the water to ending up with the water directly over your head. So I know sometimes we feel like if, you know, this thing just happened immediately, but no, no, no. If you watch the progression in the text, it said, and he beginning, in other words, whatever flatness or foundation that there was on the water that he was walking on, all of a sudden that flatness bega began to become softer and softer and softer and softer and to, to the degree and to the extent that water started to run up his leg and maybe up his thigh so that when the scripture says he cries out lord save me the scripture says jesus immediately reaching down catches him come on now then. come on come on let me let me let me see if you can illustrate this catches him and pulling him up they both would now walk from that spot into the boat what are you saying but i'm gonna i'm saying our ability, our ability to navigate our transitions well only comes as a result of where we place our focus. Are you still focusing on Jesus in the midst of your frustration? Are you still focusing on Jesus in the midst of your pain? 
Are you still focusing on Jesus in the midst of your anxiety? Are you still focusing on Jesus in the midst of your calamity? Are you still focusing on Jesus? Because I promise you, in the midst of what you're going through, all you need to do is keep walking in faith and keep your eyes on Jesus. And then finally, when Jesus shows up, and he always does, when Jesus shows up, always have a disposition and a heart of worship. When Jesus shows up, I need to say this last point. I'm, I'm done, by the way. When Jesus shows up, always have a heart and a disposition of worship. Let me repeat that one more time while you stand. When Jesus shows up, always have a heart and a disposition of worship. Let me repeat that one more time, Daniel, because they, they probably didn't hear it. When Jesus shows up, always have a heart and a disposition of worship. I, 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 don't, I don't think I, I'm preaching anything new to let you know that Jesus did show up. I, I, I don't think I'm preaching anything new to let you know that he came in the form of a virgin baby. I don't think I have to express anything new to you. This is not a lie that he came and he lived and he, he, he had a ministry and he preached and he guided people unto himself. He did wonderful things. But one day he went to the cross and he died one Friday. I don't have to preach to you and tell you that even though he died, he was buried in a tomb, but it was a borrowed tomb because the tomb can't hold my God. I, I, I believe that when you think about Jesus the, and you think about what he did and the fact that he was buried in a tomb, the tomb couldn't hold him. But, so they tell me on the, on the third day, early one Sunday morning, he again not only did he rise but he is now ascended and he is seated at the right hand of God I'm trying to help you to see the scripture says when Jesus showed up they had a heart and a disposition of worship didn't he show up didn't he show up didn't he show up so we need to have a heart and a disposition as well it's an everyday heart it's an everyday disposition. If there is anybody that's supposed to have a heart and disposition of worship, it's the people of God. Because he showed up in your life. I, I, I know he showed up in my life. He's still showing up even today in my mess that I make, he shows up. When I'm going through the calamity of life, he still shows up. When I'm going through my, my times of insecurity, guess what? He shows up. In my weakness, he shows up. In my distresses, he shows up. In the midnight hour when I'm crying and I don't know what I'm crying for, he shows up. When he shows up, we need to have a heart. I, I wish I could get some people to say amen. Uh, we need to have a heart and a disposition of worship, of praise. Of adoration and like that little boy or that man when the well was fixed simply say to the best of our ability thank you